Well, well, well. What do we have here? Is this episode 50? That's just... I don't really know how to process that quite yet. Um, (laughs) I just, that's so insane to me. But welcome to episode 50. We've done it. I learned today that apparently there is an eight episode curse for podcasts. And it's apparently like some podcasts do their eighth episode and then something goes disastrously wrong and they quit. Um, Good thing I never knew about that because my anxiety would have been through the roof and I probably would have quit just based off the fact that I was worried about quitting. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Either way, happy Tuesday. I'm where I am and you are where you are. And it's time to talk about true crime. So a few housekeeping items. First, I'm trying to integrate YouTube into everything and it is going well. Uh, At least I would say so. (laughs) Don't know. Uh, I guess we'll see how it goes when I make them go live. Uh, If you like Cabernet and True Crime, uh, leave a review, leave something here. And uh, if you want to follow me on social media, um, at Cabernet and True Crime, I am super active on Instagram specifically and post something either funny or educational pretty much every single day. That's the goal anyways. Um, Also, there is merch, which you can find the link on my Instagram description. The website is still under construction, as it always has been and always will be, because I cannot get my shit together. Uh, But we're moving in the right direction. It is approaching something. (laughs) Fine. Uh, It's also my birthday week, which means nothing to no one. Uh, 31 and feeling fun. I don't know if fun's the right word I would describe life right now, but you know what? That's fine. Uh, Okay. I think that's everything I got to get out of the way before we get into this. So, all right. So, for episode 50, I wanted to choose a case that really got my goat while researching. And there's, like, there's no one that really hit me the way today's case did, uh, which is Robert William Picton. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but you're, you're fucking about to, <laughs> that's for sure. Okay, so Robert was born on October 24th, 1949. He is from Port Coquitlam, Canada, which is a suburb of Vancouver and like right above the state of Washington if you're from the U.S. He was the middle child of three born to Leonard and Louise Picton. His sister, Linda, was two years older than him and Dave, who was two years younger than him. Uh, They were from a family of pig farmers, and I read online that, like, his family went back over a hundred years of, like, pig farmers. So that's kind of cool, kind of some history there. Uh, Linda, the older sister, was sent to live with relatives because her parents didn't think a pig farm was an appropriate place to raise a lady. Uh, I would agree with that. She was sent to a boarding school in the city instead, so love that for her especially when you find out where the story goes. You'll love that for her, too. So apparently Robert's mom did not prioritize Dave and Robert's hygienic needs and instead worked them to the bone from an early age, which I get it. It's farm life. Um, Usually when you have a farm, even in like the 40s, 50s, 60s, and even today, you know, they're just a little, it's a hard life. Like you're constantly working. Uh, So that makes sense. I mean, maybe not to the degree we're about to talk about, but I mean, in, the, in this sense, I, I get it, okay? 
<laughs> uh, she sent them to school in unwashed clothes, which smelled like manure and probably other stuff. The brothers got the nickname Stinky Piggies at school because of this, which isn't shocking considering the pigs were allowed to wander in and out of the house doing their business wherever it happened to land, which pigs inside of a house is an interesting choice. Um, that was a choice they made and they liked the way they lived. So that's, you know what, we'll respect their choice. From articles that I've read, I've just gathered that the Picton family was bizarre. Uh, they were known as weird individuals just in general. Louise, the mom, was known to talk fast and sometimes screech. I don't know what the, exactly that sound is, but okay. Um, and she dressed oddly and in a way, um, she obviously drew in some negative attention because uh, she was just out in public acting off. And of course, people paid attention to her. Uh, it was clear from pretty much every account I found that she did not take care of herself physically. And because of this, uh, her children also talked quickly, lacked social skills, and also dressed in similar fashions. And they weren't, they didn't care about how they looked, you know, physically as well either. So um, this kind of got passed down. So personal hygiene, social skills were not passed down onto the children. Um, but from what I found, Robert Picton was really close to his mom, um, as his father was apparently abusive, allegedly abusive. I, I couldn't find any specific, I found one specific example, which we'll talk about in a minute, but otherwise it was pretty much, there was nothing talked about. So I'm not going to talk about it since there's nothing to talk about. Um, and honestly, I can give Louise the credit that on some level, she fiercely protected her boys. And in 1967, which I know we're flash-forwarding a little bit, but I, I don't know where else to put this in the story, so this is where it's going to go. Uh, Dave had gotten his license. and October 16th, he took the family truck out for a joyride. On this joyride, he struck a young boy who had been in the road with, with the truck. He raced home, scared, and told his mom what had happened. She told him to park the truck in the garage and make uh, any repairs that were needed and clean anything up off the truck and that she would go and help the boy. She found the boy, who was in the road, still alive, and rolled him into a watery ditch where he eventually drowned. When his body was found, authorities assumed it was an accident, and in one article that I read, David was charged with leaving the scene of the crime and received four years of probation, where Louise wasn't punished at all. Now, I'm not saying, like, that was the right thing to do, because obviously it's not the right thing to do, but I think on some level she thought she was looking out for her kid, right? Um, like the the mother's instinct to do whatever they have to do to protect their child. Uh, in this case, it isn't right because she took the life of a child of some other mother. Um, but I, it's just trying to get into the psyche of Louise and who she was, right? I'm not saying it's right. So one story I've heard about uh, his father which Robert talked about this in an, in an interview I think I saw. Um, he was the age of 12, and apparently Robert had bought a three-week-old calf. He had saved up the money and made the purchase, and he was really proud of himself for it. And this calf, um, from what I've read, Robert had a really close connection with because, you know, he was bullied in school. He really wasn't, he really wasn't social, but he had this baby calf that he, he loved, and one day, he had come home from school and couldn't find his calf. And the story varies. It was either his father or his mother who sent him to look in the barn where Robert found his calf butchered. So, obviously, that'll fuck you up in the head, I would assume. 
At 14, Willie began, which I just realized that I, I go back and forth between Robert and Willie, and I am sorry about that. Uh, bear with me. <laughs> Robert and Willie are the same person. At some point in the research, he goes from being Robert to being Willie, and I don't know if that was like a choice of his or if people just started calling him Willie. Uh, I saw in an article that somebody, like he had the nickname Pork Chop Rob, which I just, I don't believe because I don't think that's a real nickname, but that's also neither here nor there. So at 14, Willie began apprenticeship at another pig farm. He had dropped out of school and found out that he apparently had a knack for dissecting animals, which is a weird thing to get a knack for. Um, I mean, if you're in the business, that makes sense. Fine. I, I, I redact my statement. It's not a weird thing to get a knack of if, if it's the right profession for you. So Linda is still out of the picture, to my knowledge. She is off in the city living her normal life. And from from what I've read, like Linda turned out completely normal, which is really good for her. Uh, So the lot that Willie was working on had, you know, which, and this was kind of back and forth. The lot that I'm about to talk about was either his lot or the family lot, but it was, he filled it with junked cars, which I'm assuming was his family lot because he couldn't just fill up the lot that he was apprentice shipping at with junked cars. So I'm going to assume this was the family farm, that the farm had 700 pigs that needed to be fed or slopped, but I don't like that word, three times a day. And Robert at 15 was working with his brother full-time as a pig farmer. David or Dave stayed in school, and he had a relatively normal life. Uh, He was going on dates and socializing with his friends, and he stayed in school. And it was also said, though, that he had a nasty disposition, just like his mom and brother. And here is uh, the weird routine with clothing and appearance continued. Uh, Willie would rarely change his clothes, and he only showered once a month. And it just complete disregard for his physical hygiene, which is obviously unhealthy, but it, it just kind of, I think this really paints a picture that he is not mentally well or he just doesn't care. I mean, there's there's a fine line, I think, in my opinion. There's a fine line between not being mentally well and just not caring. So I, I, I obviously never met Willie Picton and I obviously don't know. Um, so you could argue either way. In 1970, Robert had left the apprenticeship to work on his family farm full-time. He was known for hanging around the seedier parts of town, picking up sex workers and buying them gifts um, and giving them loads of money. He was known around town as a, quote, really good guy. He was a regular at the Astoria Hotel, which was a pub where he was treated well by the men, which I'm assuming means that he was treated just like a regular human. And all the women um, all wanted something to do with him. So really, Robert Willie Picton was popular for the first time in his life. So Leonard, uh, Willie's dad, died in 1978, which is impressive considering he was born in 1896. Leonard Picton was 82 years old when he passed away. Uh, That same year, a fire broke out and killed 600 pigs. Also, unfortunately, Louise, who was considerably younger, I realized at the time of researching this, she was only 66 at this time. Shortly after Leonard's death, she gets diagnosed and is terminally ill with cancer. Willie takes her care upon himself. He feeds her, changes her, and does everything he can for her until she dies in April of 1979 at 67 years old. Louise's death means that the farm fell into the ownership of the three siblings. At this time, the farm was worth around $1 million. 
Each child also received $90,000, which Willie being an exception, in order to get his money, he was required to run the farm for another 10 years, and in return, he would get $20,000 more than his siblings did. Linda wanted absolutely nothing to do with the farm or her brothers. For the most part, it sounded like she really just checked out of the situation and was like, yo, I'm living my own life. You guys do that. And David didn't want to be in control of it. And I realized I switched to David at this point, which I don't know what was going on in my brain during the research here, but Dave took the house on the property that his parents had lived in, and Robert began running the farm on his own while living uh, somewhere on the property in a trailer. Dave had gone into the demolition business and was able to run it from the property alongside Willie and the pigs. So Robert and his brother are effectively running this property. Because Willie lives by himself and in a remote part of the property, he realized that he didn't have to hang at the Astoria Hotel anymore, and he didn't have to go to the seedier part of town. He could just have people over at his trailer, so he could go pick them up and bring them to his trailer, and bingo bango, he could hang out in the comfort of his own home. Yeah. (laughs) So he's also got a weird taste in decor, truthfully, and I'm just, like, looking at crime scene photos and, like, the photos that investigators took during obviously no this isn't going to go well um willie had a horse that he loved named goldie and when the horse died at four years old he had her head mounted mounted on his wall which i mean to each their own you know i suppose i just thought it was something to note i personally uh think it's weird but if you don't think it's weird that's okay too um just thought i would mention it uh He paid women to clean his trailer and the surrounding property, I'm assuming, and he tried having sex with them, and when they declined, he simply went to his old stomping grounds and would pick up sex workers, which is cool. Um, We respect that. (laughs) Consent is something we respect, Uh, and it's all cool until it isn't. So on one of these trips, he picks up a a 14-year-old girl. When she got into the car, he got upset and attacked her with a knife for unknown reasons. He sexually assaulted her and then threw her into a nearby parking lot. In 1990, the Picton brothers sold off the north end of their farm, which earned them almost $2 million. They kept on keeping on for a while, where Willie would buy, butcher, and sell pigs. He bought cars and sold them for scrap, and then he helped Dave with the business he was running. In 1996, when the farm fell into nearly complete disrepair, they registered a non Nonprofit charity at the farm called, and are you ready for this? The Piggy Palace Good Time Society. Uh, they registered this with the Canadian government. They claim to, quote, organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, shows, and exhibitions on behalf of service organizations, sports organizations, and other worthy groups. Uh, reminder, though, that this is still a full functioning farm as well. It's also interesting to note that even the employees who worked there thought the place was weird, calling it a creepy-looking place, and Picton was described as a pretty quiet guy who occasionally had some odd behavior, which caught the attention of outsiders. This, uh, Piggy Palace, which is still just a wild name for an establishment, Uh, It had some huge raves and wild parties, which featured sex workers from Vancouver and gatherings that were held in a converted slaughterhouse. These parties would have up to 2,000 people at points, and members of the Hell's Angels and Outlaw Motorcycle Club were known to frequent uh, Picton's parties. I also read somewhere that um, some Vancouver police officers were also 
uh, rumored to have hung out at these parties. But I, I also only read that in one article and cannot prove nor deny that statement, but figured it was worth stating here as well because it um, might play into some things later. So in order to attend, or in order to understand some of the ins and outs of this, it's important to note that most farms take their meats to a rendering facility. Willie, in particular, used a place called West Coast Production. And it's simply a, a completely normal part of the process to have your meats rendered because they process the, all the non-edible parts into byproducts. So the meats are processed and cooked until grease is rendered, and that grease is made into cosmetics, soap, and sometimes candy. All the leftovers that can't be used from that process are made into animal food and treats. And all of this will kind of be important later um, as to some speculations that happened. So flash forward to... March 23rd, 1997. Willie is charged with attempted murder. He stabbed a woman named Wendy Lynn Estetter several times during a fight that they had on the farm. According to Wendy, she had been solicited for sex by Willie, and during the intercourse, Picton had tried to handcuff her and she was able to get away. So she told authorities that she was able to get the knife away from him and she actually stabbed him with his own weapon, like good for you. He had to go to the hospital for his injury, which is wild because he was in the same hospital as Wendy. Uh, Willie had the key to the handcuffs in his pocket, and the key was used to remove the handcuffs that were still hanging from one of Wendy's wrists. Two instances of handcuffs in episodes in a row, episode 49 and episode 50, that's a weird coinky dig. So after he was mended, he was held but then released on a $2,000 bond, but by January of the following year, the charges were dropped. Police said that, and these are their words, not mine, that Wendy was a drug addict, she could not be considered a competent witness. So in Canadian terms, the case was stayed, which means that there was a theoretical pause button pushed by the court because they didn't think they had enough to secure a conviction, so they were just going to kind of put the case, put this on pause, and like you could pick it up later. They were tabling the topic, and they could pick it up later if they wanted to, and that's going to be important later. So later that year, the Picton brothers were sued by the city, Port Coquitlam, for zone violations. More or less, that property had been zoned for agriculture and instead had, and I quote, been used for, um, it had a altered, they had altered a large farm building on the land for the purpose of holding dances, concert, and other recreations, which of course is not agriculture. And, of course, they ignored this uh, zone violation, and instead they threw a huge New Year's Eve party. So on December 31st, 1998, police caught wind of the party because neighbors to the farm often complained about the noise, drug use, and overall rowdiness at the Piggy Palace, uh, and Willie and Dave were legally forbidden to throw any more parties. And in fact, the police said that they were, quote, authorized to arrest and remove any person who attended future events at the farm. So in January of 2000, their, quote, charity was officially disbanded because the Picton brothers couldn't provide mandatory financial statements. Do you remember that employee that I mentioned earlier? The one that said, you know, it was a weird place to work and, you know, Willie Picton was kind of a weird and quiet dude. His name was Bill Hiscox. He had worked at the farm for over three years and during his time there noticed that women who had visited the farm eventually went missing. So, for instance, and we're about to go down a big, long line, and you're going to have to stay with me here. In March of 1997, Andrea Faye Borhaven went missing, 
In August, Marnie Lee Frey and Helen May Hallmark had vanished, and Cynthia Felix had last been seen in December. Sherry Irving, 24, had also appeared th- disappeared that year. In 1998, the Vancouver police got an anonymous tip that Robert Picton should be looked at and investigated on the missing woman, but there wasn't enough evidence to attract police attention. That same year, four more women went missing. Their names were Carrie Kosky, went missing in January, 46-year-old Inga Monique Hall disappeared in February, and Sarah DeVry was last seen in April. In November, Angelica Rebecca Jardine was last seen near the Oppenheimer Park in Vancouver. There was a woman named Lynn Ellingson. She was a friend of Willie's and had been staying with him for a few months. She had a drug habit, and according to sources, she fell asleep after getting high on the property and woke up to see a light on in Willie Slaughter's house. She investigated it and saw a body, who would later be Georgina Papham, hanging and being mutilated. Lynn ran, and Willie let her run because she never went to the police. In 1999, Canadian police got a tip that Robert had a freezer that was filled with human flesh on his farm. They had interviewed Robert, but he denied the murders. He offered them um, he offered for them to search his for- farm. They declined and left. I've read um, in some arguments that since no bodies were ever located in these little brief interactions, police said that they couldn't investigate. There were no bodies because Willie was disposing them in barrels that he took to West Coast Production, or, and we'll get to it later, other options. Tanya Holick, who was 23, and Kara Louise Ellis, who went by Nikki Trimble sometimes, who was 25, went missing in 1999. Tanya disappeared in October, and Kara, it's suspected, went missing around the same time, but her disappearance wasn't reported until six years later in 2002. Also that year, Georgina Faith Pappen, Jacqueline Michelle McDonnell, Brenda Ann Wolf, Wendy Crawford, Tiffany Drew, and Jennifer Lynn Firminger vanished. In December 2000, Teresa or Don Teresa Cray, sorry, and Deborah Lynn Jones went missing. It's also interesting to note that because so many women had gone missing, Willie had a hard time convincing women to go home with him. I wonder fucking why. He and female friends visit women's shelters and convince those women to go to Willie's farm. By 2001, Robert Picton, probably due to lack of police intervention and shown that he could go about his business being unquestioned, is on a rampage. In March, Yvonne Marie Bone and Patricia Rose Johnson went missing. Heather Kathleen Bottomley was last seen and was reported missing on April 17th. Heather Chinook was also seen for the last time in April. Now police had to start taking the number of missing women seriously, so now is when they have to start taking it seriously. There's a task force created for the missing women, and there's a $1,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest. So many tips flooded uh, this task force, and in these uh, you know tips that were flooding in, they were mentioning a pig farmer. And of course, Willie's name was added to the list, but he was never looked at closely despite all these things that have happened beforehand. In June, Andrea Josbury disappeared. Serena Abbott's way was reported missing a few days after she disappeared on October 22, 2001. Mona Lee Wilson visited her doctor on November 30, 2001 and went missing later that evening. Diane Rosemary Rock went missing on December 13. The disturbing thing about these last four women is that their bodies were not disposed of right away like the rest. And you'll hear what happened to them later. 
Mona Lee Wilson had been brutally beaten in Willie's trailer and then shot with a 22 caliber revolver, and her blood was all over the room. On February 6, 2002, police searched for illegal firearms on the property. They had a search warrant. Apparently, police had received a tip from a truck driver who occasionally worked on the farm. He said he saw some illegal firearms inside of Willie's trailer. Uh, Willie and Dave were arrested for the firearms, and that was fine, but something else caught their eye during their investigation. It was an inhaler that was prescribed to Serena Abbott's way. Police paused that first search and obtained a second search warrant from the horrors they had seen on the property as part of what would be called the BC Missing Women Investigation. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Willie, like I said, had been taken into custody and was eventually released on bond for the weapons, but he was released. Um, when he was released, he was not allowed to go back to the farm until they had finished searching it. Of course, police found Mona Lee Wilson's blood all over the camper. They also found some of her remains in a trash can just outside the camper, which were her brains, hair, and a skull that had been sawed in, a skull that had been sawed in half. They also found the buckets that contained the hands, feet, and heads of Andrea Josbury and Serena Abbott's way. They found bloody clothing, teeth, jawbones, and DNA from 33 women. On February 22nd, Willie was charged with two counts of first-degree murder for the death of Serena Abbott's way and Mona Wilson. By April 2nd, three more charges were added for the murders of Jacqueline McDonald, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. A sixth charge was Sixth charge was added on April 9th for Andrea Josbury, and right after that was another for Brenda Wolf. On September 20th, four more charges were added for the deaths of Georgina Pappen, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark, and Jennifer Firminger. On October 3rd, another four were added for Heather Chinook, Tanya Hulk, Sherry Irving, Inga Hall, and which that brought the total to 15. On May 26, 2005, 12 more charges were added for Kara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Lynn Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Carrie Koski, Sarah DeVry, Cynthia Felix, Andrea Jardine, Wendy Crawford, Diana Melnick, and a Jane Doe, which brings the number of first-degree murder charges against Robert Picton to 27. All indictments, all indictments were dated the murder being completed by February 5th. Forensics was difficult in this case. The bodies had been left to decompose, or some speculate that they had been left to be eaten by insects or pigs. On March 10, 2004, the Canadian government was concerned that Picton may have ground his victims up and mixed it with pork and sold it to the public. They released a service announcement to warn people that it was a possibility that that was the case. Others, in, less in a less extreme version, just believe he fed them to the pigs. After Willie had been arrested, a lot of people came out of the woodwork to talk to police. One particular person was a woman who claimed she had seen Picton skinning a woman hanging from a meat hook years earlier, but she didn't tell anyone out of fear for her life. Additionally, she admitted that she blackmailed Willie about the incident on more than one occasion, which, you're too scared to go to the police out of fear, but you'll blackmail the person that you saw doing this? I mean, personally, that logic doesn't make any sense to me. I get if you're too scared to go to the police, um you know, for your profession, if that's, if you, I'm assuming this person was the person we talked about earlier who was a sex worker and also into drug use, and you're worried about going to the police because, you know, you have some unsavory habits or, you know, whatever. But why wouldn't you just pack up and leave the situation? Why would you blackmail the person using the thing you saw against them? The blackmailing doesn't make sense to me. But, okay, 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 okay. 
<laughs> I got a little heated there. It's fine. So remember that case that had been stayed earlier? The one that had been paused? Well, in Willie Picton's preliminary inquiry, which is a Canadian thing, but during that meeting, it was revealed to the court that he'd been charged with the attempted murder of Wendy Lynn Estetter back in 1997. Wendy, who was a badass, testified against Picton, telling the court what she had survived through. And remember, the case was paused, so police still had the clothes and boots that Willie had been wearing that night. You know, the clothes and boots that Willie refused to change for months at a time. They had kept them for the last seven years, and it was their time to fucking shine. So lab testing of the clothes and boots showed DNA from two missing women who had disappeared in 1997. Willie's real trial didn't start until January 30th, 2006. He pled not guilty to the 27 charges of first-degree murder against him. The process of voir dire, what's that? I did not pronounce, voir, voir dire? Um, which is where attorneys select and reject certain jurors to hear a case, uh, it took over a year to complete. That was also the process that took forever to determine what evidence could or could not be presented in court. On March 2nd, one of the murder charges was dropped because of lack of evidence. The detailed reasons for all this can't be talked about because there was a publication ban covering that stage of the trial. By August 9th, 2006, Justice James Williams, who was in charge of the case, would split the charges into two groups. There was a group of six which could move forward, and a total of 20 which, for one reason or another, would be stayed. Paused. Reasoning for this was simple, at least at the time, that uh, the justice thought it was insane to charge all 26 murders at one time, that it would eat up, like, two years of the jurors' lives, and it would increase the possibility of a mistrial. Also, the first six... Uh, first-degree murder charges that were going to trial had the strongest evidence against Robert Picton. Uh, due to press regulations, though, we'll never know exactly what happened during those first trials. On January 22, 2007, Willie went on trial for six charges of first-degree murder for the deaths of Marnie Frey, Serena Abbotsway, Georgina Pappen, Andrea Josbury, Brenda Wolfe, and Mona Lee Wilson. For these trials, the media ban had been lifted and the Canadian public, as well as the world, finally got to find out some of the absolutely horrific things that investigators had found at the Picton Brothers' property. There were skulls cut in half with hands and feet stuffed inside, remains of one victim stuffed in a garbage bag, a victim's jawbone and teeth found beside a slaughterhouse, a 22 caliber revolver that had a dildo attached to it, which had both his DNA as well as the victim's, and Picton claimed that the dildo was a silencer for the weapon. On February 20th, there was even more evidence presented to the jury. The lab had testified they found about 80 unidentified DNA profiles, half male, half female. Inside Picton's trailer, they found the dildo gun, boxes of ammunition, night vision goggles, two pairs of fur-lined handcuffs, a syringe with three millimeters of blue liquid, and Spanish fly aphrodisiac, which is a chemical secreted by the insect that was once used as an aphrodisiac, but this chemical is probably as poisonous as strychnine. A videotape of one of Robert's friends saying that Robert had told him a good way to kill a female heroin addict was to inject her with windshield washer fluid. Another video was found of a friend saying that Picton mentioned killing sex workers, bleeding and gutting them before feeding them to pigs. Photos and contents of the garbage at Robert's home showing some of the remains of Mona Wilson. 
and directly quoted from an article, jurors showed little reaction when they were shown a photo of the most grotesque evidence presented so far. Crown prosecutor warned that he would be discussing a graphic photo, a picture of the contents of a green garbage can found in the slaughterhouse next to Picton's trailer. A brown garbage can had been inserted into the green one, and when the brown one was removed, remains of Mona Wilson, who disappeared in 2001, were discovered inside. Submerged in a pink soup of decomposing human matter were two halves of Wilson's skull, along with her hands and feet. The court has heard that a 22 caliber bullet was found in the can with Wilson's remains. Her body parts and the liquid were sent for an autopsy. Picton does not contest the fact that the remains of the six women he is on trial for were found at his farm, but he denies killing them. Unfortunately for him, uh, there's a video of Picton in his cell with an undercover cop. Picton is on tape saying that he wanted to, quote, do one more and make it an even 50. Then he would have a quick break and do another 25. Also during the trial, investigators and people who searched the property talked about just how poorly taken care of the animals were and that there were obviously years of neglect to the hogs. On December 9, 2007, the jury found Robert Picton not guilty of six counts of first-degree murder. Instead, they found him guilty of six counts of second-degree murder, which is just enraging um, on several levels because usually the distinction between first-degree and second-degree is the premeditation. Um, I'm not sure which factor they got stuck on here, but um, you're telling me that this man... I, I just... I don't understand where that logic came from. I don't understand why he wasn't convicted of first-degree murder um, based off of the evidence that we just even talked about. And there was more. There was more than that that was shared with the jurors of this and just how absolutely fucking disgusting this whole thing is. I digress. (laughs) I'm going to get too mad about it, but we'll continue. This level of conviction has a punishment of a life sentence with no possibility of parole for between 10 and 25 years. And after hearing victim impact statements, the judge went with the 25 years because, yes, I fucking hope he did. Um, And after this, there's a series of appeals between the defense and the prosecution and the court and whatever. And basically, the prosecution was mad that, one, Willie hadn't been charged for all 26 homicides. They really felt that if the other 20 had been included and they were able to share evidence of, like, everything, uh, he would have been convicted of more. And two, that the jury hadn't been educated enough and that he should have been found guilty for first-degree murder. Um, I mean, this never went through, and there was some talk about doing a retrial, but there were nerves about overturning any original conviction and having this fucker possibly go free, so they never did any of that. The aftermath of Robert Willie Picton, uh, his trial, was huge. In 2010, the Vancouver Police Department issued a statement because people were mad that it took so long for this asshole to be caught. So I found this next bit in an article, but Deputy Chief Constable Doug Lepard of the VPD apologized to the victim's uh, family, saying, quote, I wish from the bottom of my heart that we would have had caught him sooner. I wish that the several agencies involved that we could have done better in so many ways. I wish that all the mistakes that were made we could undo, and I wish that more lives would have been saved. So on my behalf, uh, and behalf of the Vancouver Police Department and all men and women that worked on this investigation, I would say to the families how sorry we are for your losses and because we did not catch this monster sooner. 
From this case, though, came the Missing Women Commission inquiry, and it was ordered by the Lieutenant Governor in Council on September 27, 2010. Its sole purpose is to evaluate the response of law enforcement to reports of missing and murdered women. This inquiry ended in December of 2012 and gave 63 recommendations to the government and law enforcement. Four of the mandates came from Wendy Estetter's case, which were evaluate the response of police reports of missing women from downtown east side of Vancouver, which were shit, evaluate the reasons for staying charges against Robert Picton in January of 1998, um, which was because you discredited your witness, uh, recommend changes regarding how missing women and suspected homicides are handled, and recommend changes to how cases are handled when they involve more than one investigating organization. Now, this whole project, there's a lot more than this, too. It's multifaceted. It's huge. Uh, this project got a lot of responses, both positive and negative, and a ton of other discussions were sprung from it, and a ton of other committees came from it, and possible laws, and, you know, it, 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 I could do a whole episode about it, but that's not what this is about. I just thought I would mention it, uh, specifically in the case of Wendy's, like, a lot of this fucking heartbreak could have been stopped if she had been taken seriously. A lot of women would still have their lives. Even beyond this, had any of these things been taken seriously down the road of this whole story, this would have ended sooner. Bunk apologies aren't helpful, and they don't give those women their lives back, and it does not give their families their daughters back. So, that's where that stands. It's also believed that Willie Picton's victims go way, uh, way back further than 1997. He's implicated in several murders. The list is... <laughs> long, but the charges have not been laid, I, whether because of lack of evidence or what, I don't know. Um, and if you were curious, Willie is still alive. Robert William Picton is still alive. He is 72 years old and he is in prison. He will be up for parole in 2032 at the ripe age of 82. And let's just hope that fucker doesn't get out. He's caused enough damage. He, he, I I don't know what the difference is between first-degree murder and second-degree murder in Canada and if they have the death penalty or not. But, I mean, like, just the monstrosities that this man committed upon society is just... It's... It... it, You can't... You can't even put it into words. You know, you can't even, like, describe the feeling of this man and what he's done to people. Um, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) These, like, I get so, I feel like I get so heated when I record these sometimes, and then, like, the story's over, and I don't know how to unwind myself from, like, the, the heatedness of discussing such sacks of shit to society, right? So it's like, I feel like I sit here and ramble because I don't really know what to do at the end of these, so I guess, um, this is just where I'm gonna say goodbye, um, I'm thank you for listening to the 50th episode. Thank you for letting me have a 50th episode. I it's been a really good time so far and here's to 50 more hopefully. Um no eight episode curse. <laughs> um with that being said, thank you for listening. Follow me on social media. Uh and that's really all I have. So see you next week. <laughs>